Our gospel reading this morning comes once again from the gospel of Mark, the ninth chapter, beginning with the 30th verse. Let us listen now for a word from God. Now Jesus and the disciples left that place and they passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But the disciples did not understand what Jesus meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. Now they came to Capernaum, and when Jesus was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be very last and servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them, and taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Friends, these two are the words of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Today's sermon is titled true greatness. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we each come this day seeking our own taste of greatness. Where that greatness, though, is the kind the world offers us, we pray that you might open us to a different kind, to the kind that you offer. Indeed, O God, we pray that through the work of your Spirit, this old story might speak words that are fresh for the living of these days. We pray that through that Spirit, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here in your sight might be pleasing. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So today's children's moment went a whole lot better than last week's children's moment. If you were here in worship last Sunday at this service, you were in for a real treat. As I stood here and invited children to come forward and 18 or so angelic, incredibly well-behaved and put-together children rose from their seats and walked forward and joined me on the steps. We even had to look for extra space. It was so crowded up here. And just as I began to offer them my deep and profound thoughts for that day, I had a sudden realization an awareness, if you will, that nearly every single one of those 18 little bodies that had come up also had something deep and profound to say that day. Much to the delight of all of you, of everyone in the pews, something bordering chaos ensued. 
and the pastor simply held on for the ride. You can imagine then me wondering if it was either God's infinite wisdom or rather sardonic sense of humor that this week's scripture reading is Jesus taking a child in his arms and saying to all of us, whoever welcomes one of these welcomes me. It's actually a good illustration of my number one rule that has evolved over time for children's moments, which is to have no plan for them at all. It's good to have an outline, but if you come to a children's moment with a plan, it is sure to get blasted out of the water. Because children will humble you. They don't often care too much about the plans that you have made. I think that's actually sort of the mistake that the disciples have made in our passage from Mark this morning. Their mistake is that they have a plan. We're at the ninth chapter here in Mark's gospel. We're over halfway to the end of Mark's gospel. By this point, the disciples have been spending a good deal of time with Jesus, and they've seen a lot. They've seen Jesus heal the lame and cure the blind. They've seen him feed thousands of people from a few measly scraps of food. They've seen Jesus drive out demons. They have seen what I think we would all call, if we were in their shoes, greatness. They've seen the Messiah at work. But remember what I mentioned in last week's sermon, which is their concept of Messiah is different than the concept Jesus has in mind. The disciples are good Jewish believers. Their understanding of Messiah to this point in their faith development has been that a Messiah will come to overthrow their conquerors, to throw out the Romans, to purify and restore Israel to its place of glory and power here on earth. It's really no wonder that their plan then is to follow that Messiah right to the top. Because once they reach the top with Jesus, surely greatness of that kind will follow. It's no wonder that they're debating on the road who is greatest amongst them because just imagine whoever's greatest now, how much greater they will be when Jesus comes in all his glory. It really helps explain, I think, why they are afraid, Mark says, when Jesus here predicts for the second time his death and resurrection. They're afraid because if Jesus dies, their plan is out the window, folks. Their coattails to the top are gone. And then Jesus takes a child on top of all of that, takes a child in his arms. One of the commentators I read this past week described this treatment of children by Jesus as a, quote, resistance to the empire. And what they meant by that is that in this world that Jesus occupies and that we occupy today, this world that favors relationships of power and privilege, Jesus calls us to emulate a child. 
What greater image in his day and even now for a person who has literally no power, who has no wealth, a person who has zero social status. That's who Jesus takes into his arms and says, be more like this person. And not only does Jesus call us to emulate the child, Jesus says to welcome the child as well. To welcome those without power or status. Because when we do so, we welcome him. The more I thought about that children's moment last week, the more I realized those children were, in fact, preaching today's sermon. Because much like a children's moment gone awry, this is a story of Jesus coming along and turning our plans upside down. It's Jesus coming along and turning the disciples' world upside down. Before I went to seminary, I worked for a time with a best practice research consulting firm. And one of our favorite questions to begin a conversation with a new client was to ask them that sort of stereotypical consulting question. Tell me about what keeps you up at night, we would say. It's really amazing what you hear when you ask someone to tell you what keeps them up at night. It sort of drills right down to the heart of the matter. What is the biggest problem you have so that we can try and find a solution? Now, I realize in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says things like, don't worry, tomorrow's trouble's enough for tomorrow, today's, I get that. But I still wonder if perhaps this is a story that illustrates for us the one thing that very well may have kept Jesus up at night. I think the one thing that would have kept him up is the thought that his disciples, both then and today, will forget, or worse yet, be too afraid to see that greatness in the kingdom of God is the world upside down. That greatness in God's kingdom looks more like self-giving, sacrificial service to the weak and to the vulnerable than it does VIP access to the powerful. I think that that's maybe why he's so disturbed here by his disciples' admission, because he knows that the kind of greatness that they are seeking and planning for, the kind of greatness perhaps many of us today are seeking and planning for, including myself, the kind of greatness that they have in mind is not the greatness that he is offering. Because the greatness in the kingdom of God, the greatness that Jesus offers, looks a lot more like a cross than it does a castle. It looks a lot more like a soup kitchen than a super yacht. It looks a lot more like an AA meeting than a boardroom. Greatness in the kingdom of God is so much more than superficial slogans and puffed up boasting. It looks more like a group of loud children, perhaps, who don't give a hoot what the pastor has planned for that day than it does the quiet and dignified hallways of privilege that dominate so much of our world. 
Have you all ever met someone who just exudes, who just embodies that kind of greatness? Have you ever crossed paths with someone who you might name as being a saint in our midst? There was a man who qualified that status in my mind, a man who I had the privilege of crossing paths with for about three years in seminary when I served at First Presbyterian of Atlanta, the Reverend Charles Black, a man who died, I found out, this past Thursday. He was this older African-American man, had this just shock of white hair on top of his head and this big white mustache. He spent 20 years as the outreach pastor at First Presbyterian Atlanta. He was the person who got me starting my prayers, good and gracious God, because that's how he started every single prayer he ever prayed. It wasn't unusual for Charles to shout out when he was preaching, and he was a preacher, let me tell you. It wasn't unusual for him to shout out, come on, somebody. Amen? And the email that went out to the congregation this last week announcing his death were these words. It read, Charles Black began to transform First Presbyterian Church of Atlanta from the moment he interviewed to be the associate pastor for community ministry. Every day of every year for over two decades, his faithfulness to God lit a torch for the least of Atlanta. He endured prejudice, he embodied compassion, and he emerged each day unwavering and intent to serve those he knew were being forgotten. He chose each day to advocate for and to attend to their lives. When Jesus asked those disciples, what were you arguing about on the road? I'm pretty sure that this is what he hoped they were going to say. That they were arguing about who embodied more compassion who embodied more unwavering and intent to serve attitude for those who they knew were being forgotten. I think that that is true greatness in the eyes of Jesus. Charles Black embodied that kind of true greatness. Unwavering, compassionate, attentive service to others. It was a witness to greatness that was born solely from love. But you know, the thing that Charles really taught me in my time with him was that witnessing to God's greatness is not just an individual activity. It is also a communal one. The reality is that the ministry Charles formed and led over all those decades would not have been half as impactful on the Midtown Atlanta community had it been done without the congregation of First Presbyterian being just as committed financially and spiritually to the work that he was about as he was. It reminds me that there is a question that keeps me up at night, a question that I think should keep every church and every person here up at night, 
Sometimes I find myself laying in bed wondering whether or not anyone would notice, whether or not anyone would care if our church, if St. Simon's Presbyterian Church closed its doors, emptied its hallways, and never opened again. Would anyone notice if our church closed its doors and not a single person stepped foot inside it ever again? Are we a vital enough presence, in other words, witnessing to the love of Jesus Christ in our neighborhood and in our community that people would actually feel, I mean concretely feel, our absence if we just closed up shop tomorrow? I think I can answer that question honestly today, yes. I think people in our community would notice if our hunger action team boxes stopped going to the schools every Thanksgiving and Easter. I think agencies doing faithful work in our community would notice if teams of St. Simon's Presbyterianers stopped showing up for days of service. I think guests at Manor House would miss our team that assembles on the first Monday of every month. I think families on this island would miss the presence of our preschool loving so many children so well. I think the Girl Scouts and community groups and Bible studies would wonder where they could meet. I think places near and far would miss the generosity of this church in its benevolent giving. I think those of you here And those who find their way through these doors would miss our worship and the authentic warmth and welcome of this place. I think the answer to my question is yes right now. We would be missed, but it's not a question that we can rest on. The warning of this passage is that as soon as we start focusing on our own greatness, that question can slip away so easily. The community around us can stop to notice our impact. It's a big part of why, for me, this campaign that we are beginning is so important. This heart and soul campaign is not about our own greatness. It's not about having the nicest space, the best amenities. It's not about that at all. It is about us investing in a church So that long after all of us are gone, this will continue to be a place that forms people to go out and advocate for and to attend to the lives of those in our community, particularly the poor and the overlooked. A place that will be so vital to the overall spiritual and physical health of Glen County long into the future that if we were to ever close our doors, people would be mad. This campaign is about renewing and creating spaces so that for years to come, all God's children, even those children who created some chaos last Sunday, all God's children will have a place to gather and witness to the greatness of a God whose heart and soul is first and foremost good and gracious and a place that will send them back out into the world 
to preach and live that good news for others. This morning, about 316 miles from here, I Google mapped it. 300 men and women came in off of the streets to First Presbyterian Church of Atlanta. They gathered in Fifield Hall and were served a hot breakfast, were prayed with and over, and were invited to join that church for worship. When Charles Black helped to start and grow that ministry, it's not because he had a plan for it. It's because he saw a need and he sought to fill it. I can still smell and hear that breakfast from all the times that I was fortunate enough to attend it myself. Pancakes and grits and sausage and coffee, song and prayer. It was a meal each week that is and was and will continue to be in so many ways. What greatness in the eyes of Jesus is meant to look and sound and smell like. Whoever is servant of all, Jesus says, whoever welcomes the little children, the powerless, the poor, the downtrodden, the hurting, in other words, whoever welcomes them, welcomes me, Jesus says. Friends, may you, And may we, here at St. Simon's Presbyterian, go out this day and always to do likewise. Come on, somebody. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.